you know, I really appreciate um, this church. I really appreciate the attitude of prayer and worship. Um, Jackie and Tom, um, Tom, yeah, Jackie and Tom, you do a wonderful job of leading us into the presence of the Lord. Amen. And there is just something that's special about that. And it's not, you know, it's just, it's an amazing thing. And I just can't get over it. Every week is new. Every week is fresh. Every week is alive. And I don't know how I could live my weeks without that. So thank you for your faithfulness. But I just thank you for that. And I, I just appreciate um, just a sensitivity. And Pastor Rip, thank you for praying. Um, you have no idea how much that offers our body. You have no idea the presence it is. I mean, you are a, you are a lead pastor. You are a fully credentialed lead pastor, and it shows. And it's obvious. And I'm so appreciative that you're here. What a great word last week you gave. That was a great word. Anybody here last week that heard that word? If not, I, go, I, 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 I would recommend to go back and listen to it. The injustices of life. What do we do when injustices come? Because they come. And how do we handle them? And he gave such a good word for us on letting God handle our injustice. Because if we take him into our own hands, we'll mess it up. Yeah, we may feel like we've gotten some revenge, but there's, that doesn't last long. And it just really works against us if we don't allow God to have those injustices. So thank you for sharing that. That was really, really powerful. So today we want to continue working out our salvation through fear and trembling. That's the message title today. We're continuing in our study in the, in the book of Philippians and we're in chapter two. The last time we were, we spoke about this, we were talking about humility and unity. And the reality is unity is impossible. Listen, unity is impossible without humility. A prideful person will not be in union with anyone else because it's all about them. It's all about their needs. It's all about their desires. It's all about um, what they want to get out of life. They don't think about anybody else because they're prideful. And you know, that, that sin is so powerful. That's the first sin that... That's the sin that caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven. And that's the sin that all men deal with as the ultimate sin is pride. It's that pride of life that we have. The lust of the eye. Desire of the eye, lust of the flesh. And uh, so that is, uh, that's an amazingly strong word. And you know what I, I, I like about Paul's teaching is that now as we get into the, the, the verses immediately following what we talked about last week, he talks about working out our salvation through fear and trembling. And the question is, how do we do that? And what is that about? What does it mean to have fear and to tremble before the Lord? And how do we work out our salvation? So, I invite you to stay with me here on this one because if you don't understand what I'm saying, you can misunderstand the concept of working out our salvation because people might misunderstand what I'm saying. So our text today is Philippians chapter 2. Stand with me, if you will, and let's just read these couple verses. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more, how much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word today. I thank you, Lord, for this word of instruction, as well as a great word of encouragement that we would know that we're not on our own to do this, that it's your will, it's your good purpose, that you're coming alongside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit to work it out in our lives. So I pray, Father, that we would be willing to hear and put into practice what you tell us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So as I said, some may be thinking right now, well, I thought salvation was a free gift of God's grace. I thought it was something we couldn't earn, that we couldn't work for. Is Paul saying something contrary here? Is he saying something different than what God's word says about God's grace? Well, let me state up front so that we don't have any misunderstanding that we are saved by grace and grace alone. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So if we're saved by grace, then what is there to work out? Then what's Paul talking about? I think what we're going to find here is that the journey of our life is a continuing process of living out that moment of salvation that Paul's talking about. A big word for this is called sanctification. Sanctification. What does that mean? Sanctification is the process of setting oneself apart from the old life of sin. Wouldn't it be nice if we could say the prayer? Repeat the sinner prayer one time and then live a life that we wanted to live without constraint. Couldn't, wouldn't we have fun doing that? <laughs> Maybe we've tried it. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that at all. There are many passages that tells us that once a person experiences this life-changing experience of called salvation, That your life is supposed to change. In fact, let me say this. Life must change or your salvation isn't complete. Life must change or your salvation isn't complete. So listen to this. Listen to what I'm saying here. Because salvation changes everything. It changes everything. That's why it's a life-changing experience. There's nothing the same. A person that experiences a true the true freedom, the true redemption of God, that that moment of your salvation where all of your guilt and shame is lifted off your shoulders. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that moment in your life when that happened? I know some have it clearly etched. They can tell you the date when that happened. Well, I've always grown up in the church. And... I don't remember that exact date. I remember the date. I remember the time. I remember that feeling when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 12 years old. I remember that very clearly. I remember that baptism of the Holy Spirit where he just filled my life with that new heavenly prayer language. And for an hour, I couldn't speak in English. It just overwhelmed me as a 12-year-old boy. And so I wasn't faking it. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm telling you, the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a real thing. And it's really for today as much as it was for the day of Pentecost. And I pray that you experience it. I pray that you're seeking it. 
then if you haven't experienced it, and I pray that you're seeking it, if you want to experience that, the Lord will baptize you. Talk to us. We'll be happy to pray with you about it sometime. But I can remember that experience. But the reality is that once a person says the prayer and they realize that it takes work to live out that life of salvation, that many of them stop there. Many of them say, you know what, I'll give it a try. But if it doesn't come easy, I'm not going to pursue it. And how many times have we heard people say, I tried it and it didn't work for me. It might work for you, but it didn't work for me. You know why? It's because they weren't properly taught. They weren't instructed on what salvation really is. Salvation just isn't saying the prayer. Salvation is going all the way. And all too often, there, there's been a well-meaning pastor or a well-meaning church, even a whole church, that says, all, that says all you have to do is repeat the prayer and all is well. No worries. God has forgiven you, not just for your past sins, but for all your future sins. God has forgiven you. So go live your life and enjoy life. And I, and I, 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 I'm not here to argue a once saved, always saved philosophy here. That's not my point. Because that typically doesn't end well. But if I, when I do get in a conversation with someone that says, I cannot lose my salvation, once saved, always saved, I say, okay, then let's do this. Let's agree to do this. Let's agree to love Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our body, and we'll never lose our salvation. If you agree with me on that, then I'm okay. <laughs> but if you don't go that far then I don't think the scripture tells us that we can ex- we can repeat the prayer one time and then not change our life. So what am I here to do? I'm here to teach God's word, and I'm here to um, make it very clear that once I accept Jesus as my Savior, yes, that is the moment of salvation, and that is by grace alone, then I have a responsibility to live a life that is pleasing to him. And that means that I have to change my lifestyle, because prior to that moment of salvation, listen, the Bible says you are an enemy of the cross. You're not a child of God prior to that salvation. You are a created person. You are a loved creation of God, but you're not a child of God until you accept Jesus. And then, according to Romans 8, then you're adopted into the family of God. Then you are a child of God. But prior to that time, the Bible says you're an enemy of the cross. You're not his friend. He loves you, but you're not his friend. And you're not a child. So when I receive that moment of salvation, then things change. And now I have to live a life. I have a responsibility to live a life inviting the power of the Holy Spirit in me to continue to change me so that I'm living a life pleasing to the Lord. Above reproach. That's not perfect. It's living a life change. It's a living a life of continual repentance. Continual asking for forgiveness because I'm going to make mistakes and so are you. But what I do is I just come to the Lord and say, God, I'm so sorry. Please help me. Help me to not repeat that same mistake again. Help me to get over that and help me to grow and to mature and to please you. And this will take some work because it's contrary to my flesh.
Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> am I am I telling anybody something they don't know already? <laughs> I think we've all experienced it. If we've been living long in the Christian life, I think we've all experienced what I'm talking about. So one of the first things that we, we, we read in this passage that we're going to talk about here is that it's not what I do in front of people that matters. It's what I do when I'm by myself. Because Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence. You see, it's easy to obey when you're in somebody's presence. Right now in church, it's easy to obey, right? It's easy to worship. It's easy to, to, to trust God because we're in a setting like that. But as soon as you walk out the doors, you're walking out into enemy territory. And so now he says, but now... Not only have you obeyed me in my presence, but not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So what does that mean? You know, I know this is kind of silly, but when I was a kid, like I said, I grew up in a church. When I was a kid, I was pretty spiritual. I mean, I was attentive to, to the things of the spirit. I wasn't perfect. I, I, I played the do and hide game like the rest of my people do. But uh, I got over that. <laughs> Thank the Lord. But I can remember... Um, being in a church service and Pastor Shorsh or whatever Pastor was at the time, sometimes they'd walk around a little bit and we're in worship. And when I could sense him coming behind me, I could remember thinking, oh, I gotta worship really now. I gotta worship good. I mean, I really, I really gotta be attentive. Like, I'm thinking, like I gotta impress him, you know, like I'm, I'm really paying attention. Well, how silly is that? It's like he's, I'm supposed to impress? Or, or, or maybe you can remember a time when you were in school and the teacher walked out of the room. And all of a sudden, the class cut up. Do you remember that? Did that ever happen in your life? I can remember. I was in a typing class one time. Mrs. Ford was our typing teacher. My sophomore year. The only time I got kicked out of a class. Because <laughs> we're right in the middle of a typing test. And this was the time where the, the old IBM Selectrix, you know, and, you, and you're, you're typing. You can hear the click, 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 click. And, and yeah, that thing going. And, and uh, you know, the world of the paper and everything. And, and just we're right in the beginning of the test. And, and, and Mrs. Ford walks out. And I thought this is a great opportunity to turn around and tear out the paper out of Maureen Cudd's typewriter behind me. And so just as I do that, I go, whoo, and it's going zing, 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 zing. And just at that time, Mrs. Ford walks back in the room, and I'm right next to the paper. <laughs> I mean, I'm caught. I'm dead. She goes, Mike, out. And that was it. So <laughs> I learned a lesson there, that it's not what you do always in front of the teacher that matters. It's what you're doing when nobody's watching. And that's, a, that's part of life. Because, you know, it takes work sometimes to do the things that last. It takes work when nobody's watching. Doing homework. If you want to pass the test, then you got to study. you got to study. you got to do homework when nobody's watching and do the work if you're going to do well on the test. So can I just say something that what comes easily is easily lost? What comes easily is easily lost. You have to work if it's if you're going to maintain it. And there's nothing wrong with working on something in order to have a workable understanding of it. There's nothing wrong with homework. There's nothing wrong with it. And you know, can I say this? That there's nothing wrong with working at your salvation. There's nothing wrong with working at reading the Bible. There's nothing wrong with studying to make your, to show yourself approved. In fact, it says Second Timothy. Paul says this to Second in Second Timothy chapter two. And what I like about Second Timothy, I like about this whole thing, because this is the last letter that Paul wrote before he died. 
So this was the most important things he was going to say to Timothy, his spiritual son, and he's filling him with as much knowledge as he can because Paul knows that his life is short. And so he says, Timothy, it says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show yourself approved of God. Study the word of God. Study yourself. Learn it. And then later on in the same same letter, chapter 4 of Second Timothy, Paul says something to Timothy, but I think he's saying something to us even more because we're living in this time. And then listen to this. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. Paul says, preach the word, Timothy. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want them to hear, wants to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, you, Center Point Assembly, you, every person in this congregation, Mike, me, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry when nobody is watching. When nobody is watching, you keep your head. You don't fall into the trap. You don't go along with the temptation of the world. You don't go along with peer pressure. You do what you need to do when nobody's watching so that you can discharge the work of an evangelist. That you can do the things that are pleasing to God when it's just you and Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? How can I begin to be an evangelist if I don't know what the Bible says? You see, the truth is people need to hear not your version, not your ideas, There's enough of that going around right now. No, they need to hear the word of God. They need to hear what the Bible says, not what you think it says, and not what I think it says. That's why we are to preach God's word under his authority and under his inspiration, because his truth never changes. We have a tendency to want to change it. Our world has a tendency to want to change it, to meet their needs, so that it, it itches their, their tickling, they want to tickle their ears. They want to walk out of church thinking, boy, I feel good about myself because, you know what, I'm better than a guy down the street. Well, you know, God doesn't grade on a curve. Can I just say that? But Paul's asking us and me, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And then what you do when no one is watching is how God prepares us to be ready to go into action when he says now. When he says now, I want you to do something, we don't say, oh God, I gotta go read about that. Oh God, let me go study that up. Now listen, I don't, you don't have to be an expert in the Bible, I'm not saying that. But you need to know enough about what it says so you know what's right and what's wrong. That you don't fall into that, that trap of deception. You don't have to be a pastor to let this passage mean something to you. Let me ask you a real simple question. Talking about being accountable to yourself when you're all by yourself. Where do your idle thoughts go when you're alone? When you have time to think, what do you think about? What do you dwell on? 
What do you you daydream about? What do you do when temptations come in that take you down a bad path? Do they? Do you ever have temptations that come in and take you down a bad path? What do you do with them? Do you go down with them? Do you follow that trail? Or do you take your thoughts captive and say, no, no, God, I'm not going there. I'm not going. I'm not going to go down that path. I'm not going to take this free time that I have to offend you with my sin. Now, listen, I'm not meddling. <laughs> I'm just asking a question. I don't know what you think about. Maybe you never have that problem, but I can say I do. <laughs> I have to be accountable to myself. It's not easy. That's why Paul says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, continue, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does this mean? My Bible commentary says this. Though we are spiritually saved by God's grace, we must continue to work out our salvation to the end. Listen, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, right? We must continue to work out our salvation to the end. We must finish our race and faithfully complete our journey on earth. Because if we fail to do this, listen, we will lose our salvation given to us. If you fail to finish the race with the grace of God applied to your life, there's strong warning here. Let me tell you what Jesus says. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 24. These are Jesus' words. Matthew 24, verse 10, beginning there. It says, at that time, which is, he's talking about the end times, now, the time that we're in, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Who is Jesus talking about? He says many will turn away from the faith. If you're turning away from something, that means at one point in time you were going the right direction. You were going the right path, but you turned away from it. And because of that, Because of the increase of wickedness, then the love of the many, or Jesus said the love of most, will grow cold. For something to grow cold indicates that at one time it must have been hot. For something to grow cold, it means at some point it wasn't cold. So Jesus is warning that unless we diligently and continually work out our salvation until the very end... It's very likely that we will grow cold in our love for the Lord and his truth. That's what Jesus is saying here. Are his words important to us? And you know, and I could quote many other passages that that prove that we could walk away from our gift of salvation. And that's not the point of this message. I don't want to go there. But I would ask you to go to Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10. Write that down. Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 10. And read through those chapters. And see what the writer of Hebrews talks about, about those that don't live according to their calling and what happens. And listen, I am not trying to make it sound simple or easy that we can 
simply and easily walk away from our faith. I'm not trying to put fear in your minds that way to say, we, if I make a mistake, I'm not saved anymore. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is that if we have a, if, if we make a deliberate pattern in our life, a deliberate choosing to say, I'm going to do that. I know it's contrary to God's word, but I'm going to do that anyway because I want to. Without any sense of guilt, without any sense of remorse over it. Can I just give you a warning that you're on really, really thin ice? The only protection that we have really against being deceived about that, because deception is easy, deception is is subtle because it comes in slowly, a little bit at a time. But the only protection that I have about being deceived is through a persistence in my faith and my love for the word of God. Because that's the only truth that never changes. And so as I get into God's word more and more and I let it filter, it just, it just invade me and I let it just soak into me and it becomes my identity, then I'm much more capable of discerning the deception of the world and keeping it out of my heart, out of my life. So what does it mean then? What is that, what am I really talking about? How do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Once again, let me just say that we're not working for our salvation. We're working as a result of our salvation. I gotta make sure you understand that. I don't want you to walk away. And what this means then, what this means, this is very important. What this means is that as we continue to rely on the same thing which brought me to salvation in the first place, And what is that? God's grace. I'm not changing anything. I'm staying, right? I'm staying in the, in, in the mode, in the process of what saved me in the first place was God's grace. And we need to understand now what grace is. What is grace? What is it really? Yeah, we say, well, it's the, it's the undefined, or it's the undeserved favor of God. Yeah, I get that, right? That's what it is. It's undeserved favor. That God just gives us grace and mercy. But we have to recognize that grace continues beyond the moment of salvation. Grace continues beyond that moment of our salvation. Because, why is that important? Because we continue to live beyond our moment of salvation. We continue to live beyond that moment. So I'm so glad that grace stays with us. It moves with us. So with that in mind, what does Paul mean when he says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling? What is fear and trembling? Fear and trembling is not an attitude of fright, doubt, or anxiety. He's not saying be afraid. He's not saying have doubts. He's not saying be anxious. That's not what he's saying at all. But rather, what fear and trembling is, it's a serious reverence that results in a vigorous, I'm talking about a vigorous pursuit of God. That I have such a fear and a reverence of God that I tremble in his presence. It gives me a hunger for him. It gives me a desire for him that the world can't give. And the only way I can get that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It gives me a hunger for God. And this is not a shortcut method. You can't shortcut this. See, the Greek word here is phobos. phobos. And phobos means it's a deep reverence that understands God's power. Listen, his power his holiness and his judgment. 
against sin. It's a deep reverence that understands and comprehends that God hates some things. God hates sin. He hates it. Why? Because it separates us. It takes his most cherished creation away from him, and he hates it. He doesn't hate you. He hates the sin. Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, it says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Who's him? Who's him? God. We must fear the power that deals with sin justly. And if I choose to embrace sin over God, then what am I doing? I'm putting myself under God's judgment. You should fear that. You should tremble over that. When you choose to allow your mind to go down the paths of temptation and you act on that temptation in a deliberate manner, thinking that, oh, this isn't that serious. God will, uh, God, I'm special to God. He's my friend. He knows me. I, we're, we got this thing, man. We're, me and God, we're like this. I'm going to get in somehow, some way because I'm better than Joe. You know, what are you doing? What am I doing? I'm justifying my sin and God's saying, stop it. Stop it because my judgment is going to come against you and I, and I will do, and I will cast you because of your choices into hell. We have to know that guys. We have to recognize that. That's why the writer of Psalms chapter 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119 verses 113, it says this, I hate those with divided loyalties, but I love your instructions. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. Listen to the, listen to the psalmist. He's talking about sin. Get out of my life, you evil-minded people, for I intend to obey the commands of my God. Lord, sustain, sustain me as you promised that I may live. Do not let my hope be crushed. Sustain me and I will be rescued. Then I will meditate continually on your decrees. It's not wrong to meditate on the law of God. It's not long, wrong to meditate on his requirements. That's what his decrees are. Verse 118, but you have rejected all who stray from your decrees. They are only fooling themselves. You skim off the wicked of the earth like scum. No wonder I love to obey your laws. Then verse 120, I tremble in fear of you. I stand in awe of your regulations. I stand in awe of your holiness. I stand in awe of the way you expect me to be like you. Listen. The fear of the Lord is not destructive. It's not destructive. It's just the opposite. The fear of the Lord is a redeeming fear that brings people closer to God by turning them away from the evil that would result in separation. Write that down. Maybe it's in your notes. I'm not sure. It's a redeeming fear that brings people closer to God by turning them away from sin. Sin separates. Fear 
brings us closer to God. Fear, reverence, awe brings us closer to him. Proverbs 3, 7, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I mean, the Bible is full of these kind of verses. I could go on and on referencing these kind of verses. And this is why we have to have an attitude of fear and trembling and why it's so serious, that God takes us so serious. Because the temptation of our flesh and that of the enemy is to minimize this. I know because I battle it myself. I know how the enemy would just try to make it so minor. I had just that little lie, that little sin, that little overindulgence, whatever it is, that little look, that little thought. Oh, I justify those away way too much. And God's saying, Mike, stop it. We're playing a very serious, serious game of offending the holiness of God if I don't choose on a daily basis to love what God loves and to hate what he hates. Hebrews 8.13, all who fear the Lord will hate evil. Hear me. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. You know, guys, I'm not trying to make this heavy. Understand my heart here. I'm just trying to give us word instructions that we can live by. Let me bring a quick summary of this part before we move on. Godly fear leads to godly blessings. Godly fear leads to godly blessings. And that leads to moral purity. Right? That leads me to a pure lifestyle. Not perfect, but pure and that leads to holiness. There's a progression happens happening here. Fear of the Lord leads to blessings, leads to moral purity, it leads to holiness, and then it leads to eternal life in the presence of a holy God. Because without holiness, no one sees God. That's what the Bible says. And we've been talking about some pretty heavy things here. I get that. Some pretty serious things about God, how God hates sin, how he detests sin. And I know that sometimes we have to, we think that we can do this or have to do this on our own. And can I just tell you, let me just take some little pressure off you. You can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. You can try really hard, but I have some really good news here. And here's the good news that everything we've talked about so far, even though it's impossible to do our, do on our own, God is working on it for us. God is not leaving us on our own to do this. He's not giving us all this instruction. He says, well, good luck, guys. Hope you make it. Hope you can do it. Because only the best are going to make it. He's not saying that. He's saying, I want to be with you. And I want to help you. And that's what the second, that's what the second part of this message is about. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, we've talked about verse 12. Verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Amen. He gives us very solid instruction and very good warnings. But then he says, I'm not leaving you on your own. I'm here to help you. 
Because God understands the weaknesses we all fight on a daily basis. He understands us. But by understanding us, what this doesn't do, he's not lowering his bar of expectations. He understands we're weak. He understands we have sinful temptations. But he's not saying, well, okay, because you have them, I guess I'm going to approve them. God doesn't say that. If he did, wouldn't we be really insulting the life and the death that Jesus had to go through for us? I mean, Jesus died a horrific death to pay for sin. But if all of a sudden God starts changing his mind and said, well, I guess you can get away with that sin. I guess you don't have to worry about that one. How do you think Jesus would feel about that? <laughs> He'd say, Father, what? He made me go through all that, and now you're not holding it accountable? You see, God's justice is just. It won't change. So he's not lowering his bar of expectations of righteousness. Rather, what he's doing is that he's he's willing to help us. He's willing to lift us up if we're willing to ask him. There's no class curve here. He's not saying just be better than a neighbor. Not saying that at all. But God's offering to every one of us to empower us to live up to his holy standards by his Holy Spirit. And the question that we have is, do we want that? Do you want to do that? That's the question that is before us all today. Because God works by his Holy Spirit in the lives of all those that are truly disciples. He does this by giving us a power to resist sin and temptation. Here's the, here's the caveat. If we're willing to ask. If I'm willing to say, God, I need help. I thought I could do it on my own. I mean, I've been living a good life all my life. And some of us have. Some of us have lived a good moral life. But the Bible says, your righteousness is as filthy rags. Unless you have Christ to forgive your unrighteousness, which is your filthy rags. Jackie, would you come, please? You see, I have the power to choose. I can profess Christ all I want. I can go to every church service. I can go to every, be in church every time the church doors are opened. And yet, I can resist the power that's available to me to fight the fight of sin. Just because I'm in church doesn't mean I'm fighting the fight of sin. And I love church. And I would always want you to be in church. But there's so much more to it than just being in church. It's fighting the fight when no one's watching. You see, the work of God and what he wants to do in our lives can be rejected. He's not forcing his grace on us. Even though his greatest desire is that we would choose him and him alone, he allows us to have the power to choose. For that reason, that's why when we choose to sin over obey, that's why God is just in sending us to hell. Because it's our choice. If we didn't have a choice in the matter, if we were predestined without a choice in the matter, 
then how could God be just in his punishments? But because I have the choice and I choose to receive his grace, which means that's eternal life, great rewards, or I choose to reject it, now I'm earning punishment. Those are the wages. The wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin, what I earn, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So as we wrap up today, I'm encouraging you and I'm challenging you. And I'm saying this. God loves you deeper than the sin that he hates. God loves you more deeper than the sin that he hates. And therefore, he's offering us the power of the Holy Spirit to help us overcome evil. He's offering that help. And that's what it means to allow grace to go with us through life. That God's grace isn't just a one-time experience. It's a lifetime of grace. It's a lifetime of choosing him over and over and over again. And we can be very victorious over sin and the enemy because of what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. He says, but you now belong to God, my dear children. Do you see he's calling you children? He's calling you children because you've accepted Jesus. He's calling you children because you've been adopted into the family. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than he who lives in the world. We have a promise. We're not orphans here. We're not left to fight the battle on our own. We're children of God, and he loves you. And he wants to work for you. And he wants to work on your behalf if we will just allow him. And I hope that makes sense. Pray with me, if you will. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I hope, it's my prayer, God, that we, that we would understand that we can overcome everything the world throws at us as we pursue a holy fear of you. As I recognize how much you've done for me. I can then give myself over to you without any doubt, without any anxiety that you're leaving me here to work out alone because your word is very clear that it is you, God, who works in me to will and to act in order to fulfill your good purpose in my life. And for everyone here this morning. So my question for you today, if you're here or listening online, is that your heart's desire? Is that what you want more than anything? To have God work out your salvation to the complete fullness through fear and trembling. If you need help on this, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help. If you're not here, but if you're online, call me this week. If you're here, come see me after service. But let's just work this out. 
Let's not shortcut it. Stand with me, if you will. Let's sing the song that Jackie and Tom are praying, playing. You are beautiful beyond description. thank you Lord now I want you to today to walk out here feeling really good I don't walk I don't want anyone walking out here feeling under condemnation right but the only way you can do that is if you can sing this song with me again and really mean it if you can't sing this song and mean it then come talk to me let's pray about this listen time is short eternity's long and we don't have time to mess around we don't have time to play games. That Games are over. That was a childish thing. Now we're growing up. Now we need to know who are we. Where are we with the Lord? So if you can pray, if you can sing this song, I stand in awe of God's reverence. Let's sing it again. And I invite you to close your eyes. Make this a prayer of your salvation. Inviting the grace of God to be with you again. I invite you to close your eyes. Raise your hands. Raise your heart. And mean it and sing it. And if you can't do that, then come see me afterwards. Let's pray. Let's sing it again, Jackie. You are beautiful beyond description.
You know, guys, that is such great news. I mean, to know that we're on the side that wins, to know that we are victors already. I don't know how we can not choose this. This is enjoying life to the full, right? This isn't supernaturally weird stuff. This isn't impractical. This is the practicality of living a life of joy, knowing that we have a great future ahead. So I want you to go out today fired up. I want you to go out today encouraged that God is for us and not against us. No matter what happens when you walk out of these doors, when you go back out into enemy territory, you are a victor and you are going to win the race. Finish it strong. Amen? Amen. Be blessed today. And just go in the grace of God. Amen. Be blessed.